Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. I'm Dan Ray, with Deputy Editor. And Michael Hill here, Editor. Thank you for joining us for the latest uh, podcast episode. So we're going to kick things off with a look back at some of the uh, top news stories of the last week or so. And the first one for me uh, has actually come from Visa. Now, Visa announced a set of new payment security services this week uh, to help crack down uh, on, on um, card fraud. Um, so businesses and financial institutions received a helping hand from Visa when they announced this new suite of industry-first payment security services and capabilities to prevent and disrupt payment fraud. Uh, the new capabilities have been made available to Visa clients at no additional cost or sign-up. Um, so this is actually a uh, holistic approach that Visa is taking. Uh, it's going to combine preventative steps to address vulnerabilities before they're exploited with swift action when a breach does occur. Um, as far as you know, it's going to be a new four-pronged system. Uh, the first one of those prongs is the Visa Vital Signs, which will monitor ATM and merchant transactions, alerting financial institutions when any potential uh, fraudulent activity occurs in a bid to prevent cash-out attacks. Um, Malicious activity can be uh, suspended by Visa automatically or in coordination with clients. Uh, The second layer of that is actually the Visa Account Attack Intelligence, which applies deep machine learning to Visa's vast ocean of processed uh, card-not-present transactions to identify financial institutions and merchants that hackers might target with automated testing to guess account numbers, expiration dates, and security codes. Uh, The third is the uh, Visa Payment Threat Labs, which will be providing the uh, a protection by creating an environment in which a client's processing, business logic and configuration settings can be tested to identify errors that could lead to vulnerabilities. Uh, lastly is the uh, Visa e-commerce threat disruption, which uses sophisticated technology and investigative techniques to proactively scan the front end of e-commerce websites for payment data skimming malware. Uh, we've seen a lot over the last year or so of kind of you know mage card and, and card card skimming kind of attacks and fraud. So some really good news coming out of Visa uh, this week with their efforts to prevent uh, card fraud. Yeah, and also I think it's quite good to see the machine learning thing. We've we've covered this a lot in in both in the conferences we've been to. And editorially in the magazine, on the website, um, or webinars, etc. And it's good to see that actually they're using that. Um, we're going to be doing a, a, a webinar on the, uh, in the, I think it's the 12th of, I mean the 19th of September, looking at how machine learning is affecting DLP. So um, if it's something you're interested, do look out for that one. But it's an interesting one that Visa actually, which, you know, there's, I can probably, well, we'll get onto maybe credit cards a bit later on but um but there's a few uh you know not not that many providers actually of um of card services and actually that one of the leading firms in the world globally are actually um are actually leading on this so i think it's all quite positive um well on some slightly less popular uh, positive news um this this one came out on the 14th of august or we reported it on info security on the 14th of august this is after a biometric building access system which is used apparently by thousands of companies around the world had actually managed to uh, uh, leak or expose 23 gigabytes of data 
Um, it's actually represented 27.8 million records. Now, actually, if you put that against some of the large breaches that you, you can, we can think of in the top of your head, 27 million actually probably doesn't rate that highly, actually. But of course, these are actually this is biometric data. Uh, the product was called the BioStar 2 and apparently used by organizations including the Metropolitan Police here in the UK. And uh, apparently, exposed data it was not just unencrypted employee usernames and passwords, but also over a million fingerprint records and facial recognition images. Um, uh, it's also integrated with um, uh, access control systems, which is used by over 5,700 organizations in 83 countries. That's where the Metropolitan Police came in. So it was quite a big deal, actually, because we, we've certainly been covering biometric security over the past, uh, well, for many years, I guess, on info security. And I guess the whole thing, yes, it, it's very uh, you know, a lot more user-friendly than passwords. It doesn't involve having to remember long strings of, of uh, letters and numbers and special characters. But at the same time, it's not something you can easily replace. And you know, you can't go and change your uh, fingerprints. We're not quite in sort of Mission Impossible minority port. Insert other Tom Cruise film here. But um, we actually did get a statement sent to us by uh, Suprema, who is the uh, the owner of the Biostar 2 platform, um, which uh, did say it was taking uh, reports of the uh, nature of the breach very seriously. It was investigating the allegations in various press reports. As I said, one of those was written by Info Security and will liaise with appropriate third parties as necessary. Uh, it wasn't able to make any further comment. This was set on the 15th of August, uh, but further press statements were due. So it's quite a big deal, actually, and we, you know, we've seen quite a lot of breaches this year. And, um, well, maybe, Michael, they'll just be a bit more serious next time. But, <laughs> you know, unencrypted data was a massive problem here. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be interesting to see how that one develops. I think it's still uh, definitely a developing story, so we'll keep an eye on it. Um, but from biometrics now to the cloud, uh, a bit of research came out uh, this week um, which actually found that a third of organisations have already suffered an attack on their cloud systems, yet many are failing to eradicate potential security blind spots. Now this was according to a poll that was carried out by Outpost24. Uh, so the cyber assessment vendor interviewed 300 attendees at this year's InfoSecurity Europe uh, back in June. It found that while 37% uh, admitted suffering a cloud attack, over a quarter said they don't know how quickly they could tell if their cloud data had been compromised. Um, the findings went on to, to say the, uh, this lack of visibility into cloud environments also extends to testing. 11% of those, um, those polled claim they never run any kind of testing in the cloud, while nearly a fifth, about 19%, said they only do so annually. Um, so given these findings, it's perhaps not surprising that nearly half of respondents, so about 42%, said they believe on-premises data is more secure than that hosted in the cloud. But despite that, a third, 34% of businesses, said that more than half of their apps and uh, products are running in the cloud, while 15% said all their assets were. Um, so Bob Egner, who's VP at Outpost24, argued that cloud environments offer major cost and scalability benefits, but security can get more complex when firms start to use multiple clouds across different providers. Uh, he said that organizations should treat their cloud assets just as they would their on-premises assets and apply all the same security principles of vulnerability and application security assessment, plus checks for cloud misconfigurations and security posture. Um, cloud, Dan, it's one of those things, one of the topics that keep, you know, keeps coming up, issues in the cloud, more and more companies moving to the cloud and adopting more and more complex sort of cloud infrastructures. Um, seems security is still you know, uh, 
trailing behind a little bit when it comes to the cloud. Yeah, and I mean, I mentioned earlier about credit cards, and I've just been looking again at some of the Capital One um, issues uh, that led to that. And of course, the um, pointing the finger at too many uh, to blame. The uh, the 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 data that was uh, taken by the the attacker who then moved it into GitHub was taken from an AWS um, S3 bucket. Now I'm not saying there's anything to do wrong there with um, with AWS, but it's another instance of a cloud uh, misconfiguration or a cloud issue, which is exactly what we saw with the Equifax breach back in 2017. So cloud isn't going to get any easier. Um, so. Yeah, make sure you secure your clouds because someone out there is stealing from it. And just sort of the last uh, story for this this section then. Um, this is one we picked up whilst uh, I was over in um, Black Hat, uh, which we'll get onto in, in a bit, um, where Apple announced it's extending its bug bounty, its maximum bug bounty payment to a million dollars. This was a story originally announced by Forbes, and they announced that uh, the original bug bounty, which was only a thousand to five thousand dollars, only ten years ago, was now up to one million dollars. Uh, this was for a zero-click full chain kernel code execution attack which just sounds like a bit of a word mountain to me but uh, yeah I'm sure that's quite a, a very serious attack but it will include um, vulnerabilities in Mac OS, TV OS, Watch OS and iCloud um, I, originally it was actually 200,000 so it gone up quite significantly sort of five times bigger um, my first thought when I heard this I thought wow that's that's really great what a great boost for the um, the bug bounty market but um, whilst I was in uh, Las Vegas I bumped into Casey Missouris from Lutus Security who you know is one of the sort of the leading names in the sort of the bug bounty vulnerability disclosure area and I asked her I said you know don't you think this is great and she told me um, this was a price hike that is unsustainable uh, I said what do you mean she said there's a logical limit which defensive prices cannot exceed because if you exceed them you start to see perverse incentives emerge uh, what she was essentially saying is that uh, it could be a good investment for someone to almost sort of act as a bit of an insider threat here because no one who's working internally is going to get that sort of money. So if they can detect that sort of um, that kind of bug, they can then tell uh, someone externally that external reports it gets the million dollars, they spread it halfway. I think that's what Katie was saying to me. But it's it's a huge boost for, for bug bounties and it does put Apple in a, a quite a unique position of how much it's actually willing to pay. I mean, I haven't done a huge amount of research, but like I said, I've done an amount of numbers, but we're not talking anywhere near that for like uh, Google or Microsoft or uh, all those others that are paying uh, bug bounties, which is a huge amount of companies now. But I'm not sure, yeah, a million dollars is sustainable, but it's uh, it's quite a big boost for, uh, well, I don't know, do you think we'll ever see a payout? <laughs> Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, we're talking about a, you could be a, become a millionaire for discovering this vulnerability. You know, it makes you think, you know, rewards for um, uh, information for crimes, help catching criminals, has been, you know, in place for hundreds and hundreds of years. But there always seems to be a limit on those. I'm, I've never seen a hundred, uh, I've never seen a, a million dollar uh, reward for, for you know, a, mm. information on a crime missing person. It does make you wonder where this is going to go with bug bounties. Obviously, there's only a certain number of companies in the world that could offer that amount as a bug bounty. Um, it makes you wonder where it's going, and you know, it, I do understand both points of view. But you can you can see where that could take a bit of a sinister turn. You know, like you say, there's the insider threat angle there. Of course, I totally get that. Are people going to 
just only focus on you know bug about trying trying to find bugs on on these companies that are offering obscene about amounts of money and thinking well why am I going to waste my time trying trying to find a, a bug in a company that's offering ten thousand dollars when there's a million dollars at the stake that I can yeah. try and get hold of it doesn't make you wonder where it's going to go absolutely yeah and it's um yeah, it's an interesting story. I said it got quite a lot of attention during that week. And um, speaking of that week, I'll just, I was over there this, this year and um, I'll just kind of run through some of the, the top findings from Black Hat. And um, that's because I, I actually did a, a quick uh, count um, of how many talks. I reckon there was something like nearly 200 talks going on during the two days of Black Hat, which is really quite incredible. So anyone who's ever sort of said, what's your, you know, what were the themes of the show? Well, I think you kind of determine the themes of the show by what you go and see and what you actually hear. But I picked out five kind of key themes this year, and uh, I did share this on Twitter just uh, a week or so ago. But um, the one one that really stood out to me, number one was kind of communication. Um, this came up on the um, the well before, before the opening keynote by um, uh, by Jeff Moss, who did the introductions, and he said. We have the attention of board, politicians, law enforcement and regulators, so what we do next with it. So his kind of message was about can we call for practitioners to be able to better educate uh, those uh, politicians, boards, etc. And you know, what, what, how can they use the attention that they've now got? How can they use them to get what they want? Um, also, the one that another trend which really came out, and this came out very much out of Bruce Schneier's uh, couple of talks that he did, was about how businesses need to have more technical know-how and employ more technologists, as he called this. Um, the idea of it's no longer acceptable for them to be in separate worlds, uh, though as technology and policy are deeply intertwined. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting one that he's kind of calling for businesses to be more technical, technically capable. Because if actually, if you look at the keynote from Dino, um, I forget his name, Dino Zino, who was the uh, kind of late replacement keynote, he'd been talking about how every business is now a software company and uh, there's more move towards things like DevOps where people are working more collaboratively. Uh, speaking of collaboration, that was definitely one of the uh, the trends, again, from that keynote. Uh, also to uh, a couple of the talks I went to, one was by Ben Hawkes from Google's Project Zero, talking about uh, 10 years of their work, um, but also talking about how other companies should follow the model that they set up with Project Zero in doing you know, zero-day research and vulnerability research uh, in, you know, in ethical methods. And uh, there was a few talks going around that about how more people need to kind of collaborate and work together more efficiently. And just a kind of couple of other things that stood out um, around uh, sort of government and election security. Uh, in terms of government security, it was announced that the US government is looking at um, an anonymous portal for reporting uh, software vulnerabilities using SecureDrop. Um, Department of Homeland Security and the Infrastructure Security Agency would collect reports and they're working with the uh, uh, DEF CON organizers for that. And uh, one more from DEFCON around um, sort of the election voting machine security. This is something we've been talking about for a couple of years now. And um, it's they're, they're actually now looking to build more secure voting machines. And a prototype of, t of a $10 million DARPA-funded open source voting machine was actually demonstrated. And apparently no one could actually hack into it. So there were, yeah, kind of the sort of takeaways from, from the Black Hat Week. It was it was really positive. There's quite a lot of stories on info security from it. So do uh, do check those out and um, hopefully there's something of interest for you there. Yeah, certainly a busy week it seemed. And yeah, some great stories there. And um, 
story that actually came to light a couple of weeks ago, more kind of stopping on the slack space corner, maybe one of those stories that wouldn't make your typical news feed, but certainly interesting nonetheless, involving hair straighteners. Um, obviously, you know, the, the must-have hair styling tool. Um, now, obviously, we've, we've read about, you know, hair straighteners causing fires in the past. Um, so what more modern day hair straighteners have now, they have connectivity where you can um, shut them off if you want to, a very useful tool. Um, you control the temperatures on them. But the folks over at uh, Pentest Partners, the uh, Pentest researching firm, wanted to have a look into a certain um, manufacturer uh, of hair straighteners, that is the uh, Glamorizer hair straighteners, um, to see if they could unearth some security issues. And they did. The guys over there always seem to find holes in, in, in some sort of smart uh, device. Um, so they found that not only could they uh, take over the straighteners with a JavaScript, they actually also found that um, anyone uh, within range of a device that had the app that come, that you would download alongside the smart uh, smart hair straighteners downloaded on their phone could also take over uh, a pair of hair straighteners. Um, and what they can actually do is they can actually set the maximum shut-off time to uh, 20 minutes, which is the maximum time. Now, obviously, that is more than enough time for these hair straighteners to overheat and cause, you know, a lot of damage could cause a fire. So, um, interesting, yet again, I think it highlights, you know, the, 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 these smart devices, be it hair straighteners, toothbrushes, toasters, kettles, again, still very vulnerable. And um, what may not seem a very uh, dangerous security flaw, you know, we're talking about hair straighteners, well, what damage can you cause? Well. If you can play around with the maximum shut-off time, uh, you know, 20 minutes is more than long enough to, to score some damage and to start a fire, I guess. Yeah, and we've seen some great work coming out of companies like Pentest Partners, where you have, say, your kettles and, uh, you know, talking dolls and all this sort of stuff, where, you know, app-connected uh, IoT devices are actually able to manipulate them and um, and see how they work. And, um, yeah, it, it, yeah, so something that can actually go very, very hot and, uh, you know, can cause these problems actually is, is a real problem. One thing I can probably guarantee, though, is when we did write that, it was very easy to illustrate because pictures of hair straighteners are quite uh, hmm. prolific. Um, and one reason I, I mentioned that is because uh, the other, the last story we're going to cover this month, actually, is around uh, an organization called Open IDEO, I-D-E-O, which is an innovation project. And they're going to actually, they've announced an idea to reimagine the visual language of cybersecurity by elevating more representative imagery. This is an association with the Hewlett Foundation where they're actually looking for visual creators from diverse backgrounds to uh, create better imagery for cybersecurity. Because they said, too often, uh, visuals in the cybersecurity space reflect surface-level understanding influenced by sensationalist media. I don't think we've ever been sensationalist. I hope not. Uh, but there's too many pictures of locks, white, head, white men in hoodies, or green ones and zeros that do little to convey the reality of this complicated, critically important topic. So they're hoping to elevate imagery uh, for the uh, be more accessible and then um, they'll be used by policymakers, media, researchers, teachers, activists, technologists, and to try and actually get people to think more about the sort of the way that they see cybersecurity and the way it's done. And uh, people are, are welcome to submit ideas. Um, those who are selected, there'll be up to 25 shortlisted contributors. They'll receive mentorship from a cybersecurity expert and $500. And up to five winners will receive $7,000 each. So it's actually quite a, an interesting concept to try and make cybersecurity look a lot better. And, um, you know, we, we do a lot of stories here at InfoSecurity, and, you know, we try and pick up stories quite a lot the way you're actually trying to get people to sort of 
recognise that the story you're talking about, and it's very easy to pick links to keyboards and things mm. like that. But yeah, kind of hackers and hoodies is something we try and avoid. But um, sometimes it's not all that easy. But it, it, it's um, yeah. It, well, maybe it's quite a good step forward, Michael, just to sort of see that you know someone trying to make a difference here. Yeah, I think they're onto something. Definitely, I think um, certainly a lot of the imagery that we we do see around could be more imaginative and doesn't always paint necessarily the industry in a good light or factors around the industry. Uh, one defence I would maybe say is it's not always that easy to illustrate certain aspects of information security in a fun, interesting way. But I definitely think they're on they're on to something, and I'll be interested to see what that uh, produces. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the last couple of minutes then, we'll look to round things off with just a little bit of an update of uh, what we're doing. Um, the Q3 print issue will be hitting doorsteps and be available online in the coming days, really. So when you're listening to this podcast, it will either be out or will be out in just a few days. So please do keep an eye out for Q3. Got some really great issues in there, some really great pieces. We're also just a few weeks away now from our next online summit event. So that's the 24th, 25th of September, two-day event, online summit. Again, we've got uh, a raft of um, speakers and thought leaders and industry uh, professionals joining us on a a range of uh, panels, one-on-one interviews and how-to sessions uh, covering some really great topics. Yeah, up to 12 CPE credits are available. So if you're a member of IRC Squared, ISARC or, or EC Council, you can claim your um, CPE credits just by turning up and listening to the whole session. If you don't have the whole two days, of course, you'll get 12. Uh, that would be quite the marathon. And if you weren't able to do that live, they are all available on demand afterwards. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got uh, between uh, Michael, myself, and also editorial director Eleanor Dalloy, we're going to be covering all of the, uh, the sessions. And... Um, uh, personally, I'll be taking, uh, I think, about two or three a day. I'm, of uh, my memory, we're looking at um, sort of build the brand infosec within the business is one I'm covering. Uh, also looking at diversity, another one I've actually been talking about with the speakers today, looking at the various areas of diversity, including gender, um, ideology, uh, neurodiversity, all different areas and how the businesses can support each other. And um, I'll also be looking, um, uh, doing the uh, second day's uh, sponsor keynote with a company called Evident ID, where they'll be talking about how to uh, manage the amount of data that you hold and uh, take a better control of that. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. What are you uh, going to be taking on, Michael? Yeah, so I've got some great uh, panel debates coming up. Uh, one of them is on uh, the importance of zero trust and the role that uh, zero trust now plays in modern organisations. So we'll be taking a look at that. Also having a look at the role that AI is now playing in security. You know, how much fad fiction and, um, well, truth is there around um AI and security, so we'll be uh, picking that apart. Uh, also going to be taking part in a great how-to session looking at how to um, retain and recruit uh, security staff. So not only kind of looking at best practices for, for interviewing, but also what are best practices for keeping valuable staff in the company that you've already got. So yeah, really, really great stuff planned for the two days, I can't wait. Yeah, it should be good. and. Um... Also uh, coming up in the next month, there's a few things going on in the UK, including um, the Gartner Security Summit, which we'll be trying to go along to, uh, CloudSec, which we've heard quite a lot about already, and um, well, coming up in the long distant future, there's Info Security North America in November, which you're going to. Yes, I'll be there, November in New York, so there's not too much snow, but yeah, she'll be shaping up for a great, great event. We'll be there for the, uh, yeah, the full two days of the event, so um, yeah, looking forward to that one as well. Yes, I got caught in the snow last year, but uh, I'm sure you'll be much better. <laughs> so, okay, well, that's all the time we got for this episode then of Into Security. So thank you very much for joining us and we will see you again soon. 
Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. 